Hello and welcome to the first ever mini pod episode of Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum and I'm joined as always by the good boys, Ben Sheets. Bow, bow, bow. And Ooh. Eugene Lundin. Hello, hello. This is a special late night recording for us. Yeah, we never record this late. Oh. Um, this week we're coming at you with uh, a little mini review of the film Mom and Dad. Directed by uh, Brian Taylor of the Neville Dean Taylor duo that did uh, Crank and Crank 2. Two of my favorite batshit crazy films. I've only seen the second, but I can agree on that. They are batshit insane. And uh, this movie just falls right into that batshit territory. Oh, yeah. It's uh, very comfortably. (laughs) uh, We're just going to jump right into it. This is a a movie about uh, some sort of virus or signal or something that causes parents to develop murderous desires towards their children. Children. And uh, it stars Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair as two parents going through sort of a midlife crisis dealing yeah. with their uh, their kind of shitty teenage daughter and not super bratty little boy. But well, he did leave like a dead animal in the back of the dude's car. Yes. Well, uh, I wouldn't say the anger that we're supposed to feel arises from the signal is necessarily the anger from their kids and how crappy they are. But that they are unsatisfied in their oh, own yeah, lives. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, As you sure. mentioned, hitting their midlife crisis, they they, they feel old, and they yes. don't like being yeah. old. Well, Nicolas Cage is unhappy in his job and pines for the good old days of driving around in his dad's fucking Firebird and banging chicks and stuff. Right. And, and uh, Selma Blair longs for the days of having a career and trying to go to one of those... Uh, like hip hop classes, horrified at the idea that she's becoming boring. Yes. Right. Yeah. And Housewife. How, and how she's always sort of considered it her purpose to have children, but as they get older, you know, especially the teenagers, they don't appreciate you. And it's like, well, at this point, what am I even for? That's kind of right. how uh, how she feels. So it's a nice little uh, framing narrative for uh, this sort of central conceit that for some reason, all of these parents are across the country are being uh, drawn to kill their kids. It's sort of like a like a physical manifestation of, uh, I think, pretty common feelings for people going through uh, midlife crises. Yeah, and they just like jump into uh, the main conceit of the movie without explaining much, because this movie really doesn't have much fat on it, honestly. No, like, it's, it's very it's a tight. Slim eighty minutes, and it kind of just breezes by you get the same style of kinetic editing as like crank and crank 2 where quick quick hyper adrenaline shots and at times it kind of feels weird well a sound design is also something that helps to guide the pacing of the movie which uh the music was done by this dj um named dr Mr. Bill? Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Bill. That's right. There are things that sound very loud, I think, in the in the film, in terms of like the kind of music that gets played. And it's not really music. 
It's just like really weird warbles. It's and like, things like dubstep that. meets noise. Yeah, he honestly a lot of it kind of reminds me of like uh like Eskimo meets One Tricks Point Never. <laughs> um it's very disjointed, very atonal, uh But it certainly it feels different from other soundtracks. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. It's very distinctive and actually one of my favorite parts of the movie, I think. I think oh, the sound yeah, design is uh pretty well. Is like the music when it is music is good and then like the the sort of sound effects that you're talking about they sort of like drive home a lot of the visuals that are happening it's really it's immersive like this is a super high octane movie and it's a it's very much a, a super black comedy because uh, it is funny oh uh, yeah you know, like it's it's zany i mean the shining star in this and certainly most people shouldn't be surprised by it, but Nicolas Cage really fires off. He is oh, yeah. up to and 11 in this one. Although, Holy you know, shit. I he's incredible in this, and he's like uh, perfect vintage batshit insane Nicolas Cage. But for me, I think the real star is Selma Blair. I think she does a really good job. Um, I think she's awesome. Yeah, more definitely more toned down than Nicolas Cage, but we sort of I I feel like we spend more time with her. We get into her psyche. She really feels like the main character to me. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. We follow more of her motivations and the she's things more going of on a three dimensional character. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Nicolas Cage is. He just, but for a movie like this, I think Nicolas Cage understood it perfectly how oh, to play yes. it, and that's something that's so wonderful about Nicolas Cage, his willingness to dive into this these absurd characters. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the perfect casting. We see flashbacks and we see moments before this outbreak or attack, and he's still <laughs> he's still pretty crazy. It's like yeah. he could have very well just gone on a murderous rampage without this signal actually ever existing. He and, he already seems like a nut job. And you know, like uh the 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 key moment that we see of that is the flashback when he like buys a pool table and yes. spends all day like building it and very painstakingly like making sure it's level and everything's perfect and then as soon as it's finished Selma Blair comes down into the basement and is like why are, when were you going to tell me about this like we're we're broke this is not the time for you to be building a man cave and he just absolutely goes off the wall and takes a sledgehammer to the pool table that he's been building for hours. And I think I, I would not be surprised if there was a lot of improv on Nicolas Cage's behalf. Not the the smashing itself, but oh, the little the hokey, the hokey pokey. He's just like <laughs> yelling the hokey pokey. And then even afterwards, well, he has... yeah, because after that, like it's just this mini monologue all about how he used to be this. Uh, hard rocking wild dude back in his younger days and how if his younger self could see him now he would be ashamed to know he grew up to be such a fat loser punk and it's a sad thing because well Nicolas Cage he's an older guy we've heard about all of his issues financially and it almost seems there is a bit that you could read sure. from his actual life well that's what I'm saying that whole that whole part and there are other parts in the movie that are like this, but it feels so natural despite the craziness that I I think that 
I would not be surprised if there was some uh, some improvisation and some riffing going on where Brian Taylor just kind of like gave Nick Cage a goal and just sort of let him run with it. That's what that felt like to me, but not in a bad way. No, not at all. And with both actors, Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair, I think they were both great choices for that because oh, even yeah. certainly Selma Blair is doesn't have the same sort of career progression but that she stagnated after a certain while she was in yeah, a whole bunch yeah. of stuff and then she was supposed to be one of those big stars and it just never really got that it's, way it's a shame I think she's really underrated I think the last thing I even saw her in before this was her bit part in the people versus OJ That's right, where play, she, she played Chris, Chris Jenner, Jenner right she um, was uh in that anger management Charlie Sheen sitcom. Oh, oh God! Oh, I, that's mm, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think she's really talented. I think yeah, she's really talented. As and- we we mentioned, the movie itself, that idea, parents going crazy, killing their children, isn't explored a whole lot further than it's an attack. It just is. That as yeah, and it's speculated that it's done because it's a way of destroying our futures by killing our children, and it's this self destructive cycle. And I like that as enough of an explanation. I yeah. didn't want and, anymore. And the way they first show it is so great. Like, uh, oh yes, the first multiple parents start calling their kids. Well, no, and also the first, like the first the very shot. Op- yeah, the very we yeah. see is is a mother leaving her baby in her car as a train is about to hit it. And that is one thing I was very worried about, knowing. These are by the same um, people who did Crank. The violence doesn't really get there, which when it's about murdering kids, I feel is probably a better move. It shows a surprising amount of restraint. There was a point where I sort of am like, is this PG-13? This doesn't feel really like an R film. A point where a new mother was giving birth to a baby. And she was holding her newborn oh, baby God, in her hands, yeah, that, and I was getting so worried <laughs> when I saw like, that she was gonna just like throw start the baby, flailing her baby around <laughs> above her head like a lasso or something. Well, I and you know they're like it is kind of bloody, like there's some some a little bit of gore, but it's all when the adults are uh, being killed or something. Right. Like it's the they they don't go full Darren Aronofsky with the, with the child. <laughs> Murder. That's there's, right. there's tons of child murder, but none of it is shown. They always cut away. But like when uh, the daughter's boyfriend like goes home and his dad tries to kill him and then his dad falls onto the that's, broken bottle. Yeah, that's one of the few moments where they're really and That's is, really gory. Yeah, it's like a lot of you, you see it like it's in his neck. So yeah. you you know that they were just like like, well, we can we can go over the top with this, but we need to not like show too much like right. child death and whatever it was, whether it was their decision or it was a studio thing that says you can't show the murder of kids like this. It was for the best, and yes. I think worked worked in the film's favor because it showed it didn't have to rely on the shock value of seeing a kid getting murdered that you could still enjoy it for this insane premise. Through that premise, as we mentioned, like destroying your future, uh, there's a whole lot of that that uh, we see through the adults in this film, this dissatisfaction, this this feeling that 
in in parts too that your kids don't respect you the way that you want, but also that you didn't turn out into the person you wanted. Right. Which for a, a movie like this that's so ridiculous to still have a concept like that put in, I thought it it did that pretty well. I think so playing too. Between the two, what I what I like so much about this movie is unlike other movies where there's like a virus or something that makes people go crazy and start killing each other. The parents are are totally like sane throughout all of this. You know, right. it's not they don't just go like they, silent and they're not zombie like, mode. Yeah, they're not like glassy eyed crazy. You know, like at a certain point, uh, the the kids are have barricaded themselves in the basement and so. Alma Blair and Nicolas Cage are like communicating and like bantering and like discussing and planning ways to get at the kids. You know, it's not just like, oh, they're like zombies now. And also that we see multiple times in the movie that nobody ever hurts anybody other than their, like, own children. Yeah, there was a great, like, a little aside TV interview in it with uh, Bokeem Woodbine. Oh, yes, that's uh, right. He shows his, his like, brief little, little cameo. cameo yeah. And he's talking as a parent about, you know, how he feels no remorse for killing his kid. And he's talking just like a normal person, and it's it's. Oh yeah, cool that moment's little... great. He's like, I he's like, I'm trying to like muster up some crocodile tears so you don't think I'm a monster. And the news reporter is like, So do you think like what's happening is is bad? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's absolutely terrible. They're like, but not for you. And he's like, Well, for me, it just felt right. So it's just like they they know that there's something weird going on, but it's basically just like the the remorse uh, is is just not there. And like at the beginning, when things are first starting to escalate, we're at the school and all of the parents are like crowded outside the gate, like waiting like hungry sharks, you know, then all hell breaks loose and they're like chasing all the kids across the football yeah. field. Okay, and it starts off because there's one kid who probably doesn't exist. What child out there is honestly going to want to hop a fence so that they could be with their mother? <laughs> I, I, maybe I just don't have that well of a relationship and I'm not that young anymore. That, that kid's a fool and a nerd. <laughs> a little nerd. Baby. None of those other kids. They're like, I'm fine staying behind yeah, this fuck gate. fuck you, like, mom and dad. Right, they all, they're like, ah, let these parents get away from us. But this one dumb kid jumps over and then he gets keyed to death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, well, that him. whole scene where like all the parents are chasing the kids across the football field and like the, the, the security guard. The, the school security guard is like punching the shit out of this one woman. He's like, "I told you to fucking stay back." But but the the daughter and her friend are like trying to hide in the student parking lot, and they see a bunch of parents coming towards them. But the other parents just run past, and that's when they start to realize, like, you know, they're only going after their own kids. Right, which I enjoy that. It makes the threat of it uh, more direct, because now it's not just any sort of adult stranger coming at you. It's going to be your mom and your dad. Right, well, it's... Nick Cage and Selma Blair, which is awesome for them to be villains, because they're both at work when this starts to happen, or... Nick Cage is at work and Selma Blair is off at like that hip hop class thing. So they're not together when this attack uh, occurs, but once they meet up, it's it's fantastic. Oh, they're, dude, it's so good. 
good. Great villain pair. And they have a good amount of just banter between each other. They have very good chemistry in this Even movie, though yeah. Selmer Blair's, I don't know, it feels like she's like 20 years younger than Nicolas Cage. I don't know what the actual age difference is. But maybe maybe like 10 years, maybe. Nick Cage is what? and He's in his 50s at this point. What? Yeah, and Selma yeah, Blair is like she's in her early forties. Er, well, I wouldn't say that. If anything, oh, no, I'd say late thirties. So. Here, no, she's in. I'm pretty sure she's in her early forties. Oh yeah, you're right. She is forty five. Oh uh-huh. yeah, the, uh, talking about like when they m- get together and are going after their own kids. Like that's really the meat of the film. Like we get uh, some setup stuff at the beginning, like the first twenty or thirty minutes. But then eventually, like, we get it to the house and it becomes much more contained and they have to start figuring out a way to get at their kids in the basement. They try to saw through the door, but then it's discovered that the little boy has found uh, Nick Cage's handgun and he's taken it because he shoots through the door and hits Selma Blair in the arm. And so they they decide that they're going to uh, asphyxiate them by... uh, running a garden hose from the gas line behind the oven through one of the basement windows which they cover up with dirt and duct tape all the seams on the door so they're gonna they're gonna kill the kids that way and uh as they're setting it up it's a great moment nick cage is just like this is a great idea honey and like from outside she like knocks on the like on the wall like it's ready to go turn it on he's like love you yeah and that's the great thing too that they don't just become empty-minded once this attack occurs is that they still act like a couple when they're planning on murder plotting to murder their children and it it just adds a levity to the whole thing it's it's yeah it all works for me in a weird way it's almost kind of sweet Because, like, we see up till this point that, like, their marriage is kind of falling apart. Like, Nick Cage is, like, fantasizing about being young and all the chicks he used to fuck back then. Selma Blair's friend is, like, telling her that she should cheat on him and stuff like that. But with this shared goal of murdering their children, as morbid as it is, they kind of, like, reconnect a little right, bit. yeah. You know, it's, in a weird way, it's almost like, uh, it's got, like, some sort of rom-com elements to it <laughs> in, a, in a very dark and uh, twisted way. And I think all of that works really, really well. I would agree. Yeah. I don't know how you guys felt about all of the flashbacks that occurred because it happens maybe three four times and they're usually during moments of pretty high tension and during the first couple i felt uh, that it was very jarring uh, uh that they're taking asides to a moment that was keeping me invested and seems really out of place but as it went on i felt yeah. because the whole point was to show this deterioration of the family bond. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to know how you guys it, I felt think about they're that. necessary. Yeah, it never feel, felt too jarring to me. Like, certainly they were abrupt. Well, no, but, like, like I, and I won't say the scenes themselves are, um, are what are the, the problem, because I think those are what elevate the film over being just a slasher movie or something like that. That yes. those are when they actually try and add in these. These uh, these heftier ideas. It's it's the situ. It's the moments when they um, they're delivered. Is is what I um, want to see. If you guys felt they were appropriate, 
pacing. You know, it's it's abrupt the first couple of times, uh, but by the end, they've done it enough times that it's like it, it sort of just becomes like a part of the style for me. And what I like about it is in comparison to something like either of the crank movies that are basically just nonstop batshit insanity from beginning to end. At a certain point, the flashbacks in this sort of become like breathers where it's like you've got these moments, like these lengthy moments of really high intensity, and then it just kind of gets quiet for a second. And then just as quickly as it got quiet, it goes, jumps right back into that absolute, like, crazy shit. Yeah, it felt abrupt, but it never felt jarring. It felt like it fit pretty well well with the the whole pacing. There's usually, in most of them, there's some kind of match cut. Or a thematic transition. It's it's like something that is happening in the present is what triggers the flashback, you know? It's not, like, random. Like, when Selma Blair gets shot and she's like, she's like, what the fuck? Like, you really are having a midlife crisis. Like, a handgun? And it, like, cuts the little kid holding the gun. And then it cuts to the flashback of him, like, finding the gun and playing with it in his underwear and stuff. It takes you out of the intensity for a second and then throws you right back in. But it doesn't feel too jarring because it's all related, you know? Right, and I guess... That helps they put it in the middle of those moments because when they take that breather, they can jump immediately into Right back into it, yeah. That doesn't bother me at all. No, and as I said, it really was only something I noticed in the beginning. As they did it more and more, it began to show its reasoning. What I like about it is because I do think the flashbacks are necessary and they're still just as well done as the rest of the stuff. So it kind of shows that, like... At least Brian Taylor, I don't know how much involvement Aaron Neville Dean had in this, if any, but uh, at least Brian Taylor is capable of more than just that balls to the wall uh, craziness that we get from Crank, you know, like. And that's what I found so satisfying. Right. He's capable of doing softer moments, uh, you know, really building characters, because he wrote this, too. And it shows that he knows how to write characters, you know, like we... And certainly characters for this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Who knows yeah. how well it work in any other context, but for this, it's it's perfect. It's He's found a very good niche style, because I, I, I feel like this kind of stuff can get so obnoxious yeah. in the hands of another person that doesn't actually have anything they're trying to say or do. They're just trying to be flashy. Cause with well, the it's movies, easy to make a movie like this almost too self-aware like right because you know, it's so good like you want to point out all the yeah flaws in like it and i want to certainly this movie is a little self-aware but it's not it never like feels like it's just it takes itself, itself seriously it, it never pats itself on the back for it's it's not never, taking itself a hundred percent seriously yeah. you know it takes its world seriously without yes you know making the characters serious it knows it knows that it's uh you know sort of like a grindhouse uh style film but it's never like nudge nudge wink wink like look at how clever we are you know like it yeah exactly it plays it very seriously what i also really like about it is in something like this like the kids are supposed to be like the heroes 
and it would be natural to make them like really the center of it, but it's not. Like, no, they don't spend they, a lot of time with the kids. The kids are kind of secondary. Like, you know, you're rooting for them because they're just innocents caught up in this like crazy, horrible thing where the the people who they love most. But they're on. They, I mean, I, are, they're honestly the most boring part. The flattest. Yeah, you don't yeah. spend like. I like that they're technically the heroes, but. Selma Blair and Nicolas Cage are really the main characters. It's called Mom and for, Dad. It's about Mom and Dad. For the boyfriend, though, because oh, he yeah. was getting fucked up oh, left man. and right. He, he got, like, there's so many moments in the movie where you're sure he's dead. <laughs> yes. And then he somehow manages not to be. He gets fucking bashed it his head into the floor by Nicolas Cage. He, has, he gets uh, thrown down the fucking stairs. He gets thrown up and he hits in the ev- face. He hits, oh yes! He gets the, stabbed in the mouth with they the coat trap hanger. They Blair in a closet and she breaks out and she has a coat hanger all unraveled trying to stab and she manages to poke it through his mouth. Which, alright, like, I, I mean, I'm not gonna complain about that silliness, but man, ugh, that, that looked uncomfortable. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wanna talk about the, the plan that the daughter comes up with once she realizes that they're trying to to gas them out. Oh, yes. Because I thought yeah, that was right, actually dude. really clever. She finds a book of matches and a roll of duct tape, and she pulls off the uh, the striking strip of the, of the book of matches and tapes it to the floor, and then tapes several matches to the bottom of the door, so if it's opened, it'll strike them. And then she and the little boy like, find a way into the walls and, like, crawl up into the attic from the basement. And so when Nick Cage and Selma Blair try to come in, the whole fucking basement blows up. I thought that was fucking awesome. It it was really well done. Uh, I thought it was really clever. It's clever, yeah. Yeah, the Um, one thing I didn't get is they just, like, they crawl in, like, through the walls, like the... Like, they find a crawl space right. and get into the but walls. the crawl space manages to get them to the second level above, like, all yeah, that. Yeah, that's a little so weird, it, but... The, the layout of that is confusing. It doesn't really matter, but it's one of those I thought, like, wow, that's, that's odd. That's odd where they ended <laughs> up, because... They're, yeah. yeah, they're in the basement, but they end up all the way like in the top of yeah. the house. And That's I mean, it's also important. it's also kind of unreasonable that uh, Nick Cage and Selma Blair would be as uninjured as they are by well, the when, explosion. Well, because Nick Cage gets blown back. I thought like, he was actually dead. And he, he, he looked too. like burnt to a crisp when we saw him. But I guess it was it was sort of out of focus. So he was actually fine. When we see him, he's just he's a little, you know, ashed up. But other, he's got a little <laughs> like, Fruit Loops yeah, to his Oh man, Uh, and then his parents show up. Which, Uh, that was... I love that 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 setup at the beginning, before anything is going wrong, uh, like the daughter's trying to go to a movie with her boyfriend or something, and the parents are like, no, we can't, like your grandparents are coming over tonight, and it's like, oh fuck, grandma and grandpa, grandpa always tells his gory Vietnam (laughs) stories and shit, and then at one point, like uh, Nick Cage and Selma Blair have the kids cornered in the kitchen, they're about to kill them, and then the doorbell rings, and they just look at each other, and Silver's like, oh shit, that's right, your parents were coming tonight. Right, but they don't, they haven't pieced it together yet at that point that Nick Cage's parents 
also have the, the craziness in them, oh so God. they start trying to kill him. Well, it's great. Nick Cage is like, I'll be right back. He goes, he answers the door, and his mom pepper sprays him <laughs> immediately. And his yeah. dad, played by Lance, Lance Henriksen, yeah. is shuffling is... around like an old man, trying to stab him With in a the knife. gut. And he's yeah. like, he's shambling. It's not... None of it's very elegant. But, what, oh, what's it's so what's funny. great about that is when uh, the the little boy like breaks free and he's running, and Nick Cage starts chasing him, and then Lance Henriksen starts chasing. And it just Nick becomes Cage. like a train of chasing. It's like a Benny Hill thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, around. I can imagine the song going off. And Selma Blair Selma Blair has a moment of clarity. And she tries to convince um, the grandmother to not kill anyone. And the grandmother tells Selma Blair, you are never good enough for my son. And calls her a whore. You're a whore. Yeah, just, the way she says it, it's just so matter of fact. And uh, maybe there's just something so funny about like an older woman just being so shitty. So vulgar. Yeah, so yeah. vulgar. She's trying to argue with her about that, but also her son's getting chased around by Nick Cage, so it's like... Right, and then <laughs> she also then tries to to start going after her daughter again, so right. it's like yeah. there's she these, immediately Which after. I kind of... I'm glad they didn't make her not crazy anymore that it was only a small moment like oh she's still crazy because well that's that's, that's what i like so much about it it seems like <laughs> other than the desire to kill their own children they're still totally rational and totally in control so even though selma blair and nick cage are trying to kill their kids they're trying to talk their parents out of or nick cage's parents out of killing him so it it creates this really uh interesting dichotomy that works really well for me yeah, I think it's a dynamic that works much better than just making them, you know, thoughtless, brainless, you know. What I will say, uh, something that I, I think is underexplored and ultimately kind of confusing by the end of the movie is there's a couple of times where, uh, like, a monitor or, like, a TV, depending where they are, will, like, turn on to static, and you hear, like, this ringing, so it's, like, kind of implied that maybe that's what's driving them to kill the kids because it happens first when the the boyfriend goes home and his dad is like passed out on the couch and the it while they're fighting it keeps cutting to the TV which is just showing static it right. happens at at the hospital, the hospital yeah. after after Selma Blair's sister gives birth like the the life uh, support monitor or whatever next to the bed goes to static and that's why that's when she starts trying to kill the baby but that's the only two times it happens in the movie and every every like for the rest of it like the parents are still trying to kill the kids not being exposed to that at all i was just like is that supposed to be the cause of it or it it felt like they were trying to get at something but didn't commit to it enough for it to actually be a thing you know what i mean yeah. oh yeah right well and they didn't want to outright say what was causing it i was it, fine with but, the with the no explanation right but, but it, it felt like they wanted to at least try and give some sort of tether to the audience so they knew when something popped up we could expect yeah. this sort of situation just, to happen and, and I, mean, I think like, I don't know if they were even trying to make an intelligent decision with it I think it was more of an aesthetic it, trying to 
portray like you were saying to the audience. Right. And static on a TV is not the worst way to do it because I mean it's this yeah this like persistent chatter we hear in the yeah, background, white noise. And- it just for me it, it's about the only thing in this movie that didn't work for me. Well, because, because it doesn't have any sort of further <sighs> development and also just sort of gets forgotten. It, ex- exactly. Point. It feels inconsistent. Like, well, even if it's, that's a shame. I was hoping that the baby and all that would come back in some way as well. And that well, never I did, do neither. love the like the nursery area where they have all the <laughs> yes, newborns and, and all the just dads proud of dads just staring at all the, yeah, ki- the babies. I, lo- I love that. In regards to the static thing, like, I don't mind it as a visual motif, but I just wish if that's what they were trying to do with it, they would have been a little more consistent. Yeah. Yeah, like, it you was could have, a little inconsistent. You could have even just had, like, the TV on playing static, like, in the house, like, the whole time. Right, while... well, yeah, because it's not, I don't think we even see it on when... Uh, the housekeeper murders no. her daughter. No, 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 no. Like it, that's what I'm saying. It's it's inconsistent, but because of the way they edit it, they make it clear that we're supposed to notice it. Like it's yeah. supposed to be. They're drawing our attention to it, but then they don't really deliver. In for a, a, a movie as great as this, like it's a super nitpicky complaint, but it really was the only thing. Uh, right, because everything else seems to have its purpose. So. It's yeah, it really, feels it's so the outlier. It's so lean and so devoid of fat that when there's so, just even a little inconsistency like that, like it stood out to me. I agree with that. I mean, it it felt a little out there and odd, but it it didn't really take away too much from for me personally. No, it does. Like that's why I said it's a super nitpicky thing. Uh, um, it's it's just about all I can come up with to criticize. The, the, the one thing. We might as well get into it. That, the ending, yeah, that I have a little bit of a problem. That's with the only other thing for me ending too. Ending of it. Uh, we have this chase scene between uh, the kid Nicholas Cage and Lance Hendrickson. They get to the garage, and uh, the kid is like hiding in the car, and Nick Cage is like smashing the car trying to get to him with a pickaxe. Yeah, and he kind of gets stuck in the window trying to grab. The kid, and then Lance Hendrickson just starts stabbing Nick Cage in the ass. In the butt, yeah. Yeah, so Nick Cage is starting to slam on the gas back and forth, and eventually he gets the car out of the driveway. Well, he crashes it through the garage door. Yeah. As it swings around, it, like, T-bones the grandma who's outside, and then Lance Henriksen, like, flies off the roof of it and, like, pulps his head on the hood. And then, yeah, just when you think that Nick Cage and Selma Blair are about to go back and kill the kids, the boyfriend, who is somehow still alive after all of the shit that happens to him, smashes Selma Blair in the face with a shovel. And uh, then we get a heart cut to the basement where a very injured Selma Blair and Nick Cage are tied up and the the kids are sort of down there just watching them. The the parents are asking to be freed and the kids are like, no, we don't trust you. The daughter starts basically repeating verbatim the uh the speech that Selma Blair gave her earlier in the movie in the car, like your father and I, like we want to trust you, but you know, sometimes you just make it so hard 
And so she delivers that line back to Selma Blair, which I thought was great. And then they're like, oh, we love you so much. And then Nick Cage is like, we love you, but sometimes you just make us want to credits mid set um, cut off mid sentence it felt yeah. like the sopranos <laughs> part of me likes how abrupt it is but it at the same time kind of feels like a cop-out like they couldn't figure out how to really end well it. i i get it because it honestly feels like a joke for parents which also makes me wonder we follow Nick Cage and Selma Blair so much. This movie might be directed to a bit of an older audience. Well, it's certainly not directed to kids. Well, well no, <laughs> but it's not really directed to just teenagers. I know what you teenagers. mean. I'm giving you, I'm giving you well, shit. Well, thank you. But I'm so I'm trying to say that I think that that final moment is supposed to be a chuckle for the way parents feel about their children they love them but sometimes they I make them want to yeah you know uh, the beat them up oh, why, why <laughs> I wanna, yeah i want to fucking beat you up kid <laughs> and you know it does kind of bother me uh the way that it ends but at the same time i don't know how i would want to end that movie yeah i don't know i don't know how i would want that movie to end hey, i don't i, I wouldn't bother by it. i wouldn't want it to end with them killing nick cage and selma blair i wouldn't want it to end with them killing the kids vice versa i don't know how i would have ended it yeah and in a way even though the ending is very abrupt and kind of unsatisfying at the same time in a, in a way it's kind of weirdly perfect I, yeah, I think I think it's I don't not know. the worst ending by any means. It's it just feels abrupt. It's it is. It's that's the part that's jarring. I didn't feel like any of the transitions to flashbacks and stuff in the rest of the movie were jarring. The ending is what's jarring. Yeah. It does feel like a cop out and it does feel unsatisfying, but I legitimately can't decide how i would want it to end another way like we were talking about with 10 cloverfield lane in the last episode like how it would be so much better if it just ended when she got out of the bunker or when she saw the alien ship like there's not a there's not a moment like that in this movie like i mean i guess you could end it with selma blair getting hit in the face with the shovel when it cuts to black but i think that would have been maybe more unsatisfying you know yeah the ending doesn't bother me. Not too much. Too much. Like it, it feels fitting. Like I think the 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 gag at the end. It doesn't feel cheap or anything. It's weird. It's the kind of thing that I feel like it will bother me less on future rewatches. Because this is the second time I've seen this. The first time I was very drunk and don't remember much at all. Hence why I needed to rewatch it. But. I remember being much more bothered by the ending the first time I saw it than this time I was kind of just like, yeah, okay. Not super satisfying, but doesn't bother me too much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Before we jump into ratings, I I do want to comment on something that I particularly noticed this time in sort of the the way it's edited and a lot of the stuff they do, this reminds me very much of a seventies film. Yeah. Well, all the I mean, the credit sequence. In well, the the, o- the opening is credits all... is is super seventies. It's kind of like a James Bond intro, you know, like with the with the song over the top of it. But even even aside from that, like just the sort of the the editing style and 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 the characters and just sort of like the way the story is constructed in general, like. 
it felt very much like a 70s film. Yeah, it definitely has kind of a no-nonsense, grindhouse-y, exploitation-y type of uh, editing style, which I thought was really cool. Um, Without being w- gratuitous. Yeah, well, and it's matched with that classic crank, you know, hyperkinetic mm-hmm. editing style. And I thought the pairing of those two styles worked really, really well. well. Yeah. Stylistically, it's it's great, and uh, it, it's gorgeously shot and really well scored. Um, and the, the sound design outside of the music is great, too. Uh, yeah, unless you guys have anything else, I think we can jump into ratings. Well, I'll start, start it off. Yeah. This was a real surprise for me. I, I think... That Crank High Voltage is a really fun movie, but it's much schlockier and more shocking. And I think it attempts to be more shocking Mm -hmm. than this was, which I was very happy about because I was a bit worried this would go too far out there. This surprised me. There's actually a good amount of thought put into the characters and it keeps them compelling and kept me wanting to watch it outside of just seeing any sort of action or any kills. And I think that that's pretty damn good on the director and writer from the Crank series to make me care (laughs) otherwise. Brian Taylor, someone to pay attention to. Yeah, well... I mean, I was looking at some of the other stuff he did. He's certainly, he's got duds. He he wrote Jonah Hex. He also, he also, him and uh, that guy Neville Dean, they directed Gamer. Uh, oh the yes, yeah. they did. I yes. forgot about that. I still have never seen that one. It's it's, it's got some of the, it's got some good stuff in it. It's pretty dumb, but it's got some good uh, did, crank uh, sensibilities. Ghost Rider two, ooh, uh, yeah, right, which is right. entertaining. But. Well, yes. one thing I'll say about Gamer is that Michael C. Hall is fantastic in it. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's but that's, uh, that's, that's besides that's the, beside the, the point. rest of the yeah, So, what would you rate this? Yeah, I would give this a four. Uh, Um, out of five pods because I found myself really enjoying this movie. This isn't trying to say a whole lot. And what it is trying to say, it does do well about what it must be like to get to that middle age. You're not cool, uh, young adult anymore. Now you're a father. Now you're a mother. And about the burdens and the insanity that can come from that. So... Four for me. What really bumps me out about this movie is uh, I feel like a lot of people are going to overlook it or miss it. Because, you know, it came out like, uh, yeah. I want to say like a month ago, but it was just straight to video on demand. I know they they played a few midnight screenings at like festivals. Yeah, it's stuff, super under the radar. They didn't really have a wide theatrical release. And, you know, this is one of those movies that I almost feel like could get a big cult following if they released it in theaters as like a midnight movie of I think it still could if if it finds its way to the the right audience uh, I think it could definitely still become a, a cult hit it, it's certainly a good enough movie to yeah, do yeah and you have crazy Nick Cage at some of his craziest, which is always good. And I think it, that's um, going to be the draw for people. That's what's going to get it onto people's notice is the the ones who love Nick Cage at his craziest because this is Nick Cage at his craziest. I know that Taylor and uh, Neville Dean, mm-hmm. uh, they just uh, started a new series on sci-fi called Happy. Yeah. And yeah. it's yeah. supposed to be okay, but hopefully... 
it will get more people checking out their filmography. Hopefully, they've also seen Crank, and they say, oh, the Crank guys are doing this? Well, let's see what else they've done recently, because they will be very happy with Mom and Dad, yeah. if they're a fan of the Crank films, too. What would you rate this, Ben? Um, well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, like, this is a future cult classic, I think. Uh, years from now, people look back to this movie and look at it fondly, uh, like they do with the Crank movies, and it's easy to dismiss schlocky movies as just schlock, but I think there's more to this, you know? Deeper themes at work here, and, you know, there's an art form to the kinetic stylings and pacing. Yeah, it's just an entertaining ride. I would give it a solid four and a half. Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty pretty much with both of you guys. I think uh, I think you're right, like, the... The sort of schlockiness aside, and I wouldn't even consider this a particularly schlocky movie, but like, yeah, there, you can tell that, like, if you do look past just like the really high octane, like, violent stuff, there's, there's something more here. Uh, I think it's a really great representation of what it's like to be a parent, especially with teenagers, like going through midlife crisis. I think they really sum it up best in the flashback after Nick Cage destroys the pool table where they're like sitting on the ground and they've sort of like come together and he's like man we used to be uh Brent and Kendall and now we're just mom and dad you know i think that really encapsulates the the frustrations that manifest themselves as like this murderous desire after a first very drunken viewing i gave this film a uh, 4 but on a second rewatch it's it's a a very strong 4.5 for me. I think this is a, a fucking dope movie, and if we can help get it onto some people's radar, then all the fucking better. So yeah, that, watch this movie. Watch uh, this fucking movie. You might have to rent it on Amazon or YouTube or something. Yeah, but. find it. It's it's worth your time, and it's short. Uh, it does not wear out its welcome. It's it's very good from beginning to end. And so that gives Mom and Dad a very strong rating of 4.3 pods out of 5. Yeah, so I guess this is the second 2018 horror movie we've seen. Uh, this is the favorite for me so oh, yeah, far. For I sure. mean, if you yes. compare it to Cloverfield Paradox, it's a It's not But hey, we have Annihilation coming out soon, so yes. that's... That's a whole other breed of movie, it seems, compared to these two. By so, the time we drop we'll... this, uh, I, I'm uh, Annihilation will be out already, but that's what you can expect uh, from the ne next episode. It's going to be another little uh, mini pod like this, uh, but talking about Alex Garland's Annihilation, yeah, which so I'm if, super stoked for. If you're listening and you want to make sure that you either check the film out so you can uh, see what we think, or if you want to wait on it and then... Let us recommend it to you or not. Know that it's only a couple weeks away. You do not have to wait much longer. But I, not I even imagine. Well, yeah, it's coming out. Uh, today's Monday. It comes out this Friday. It's it's all going to be happening very soon. So, but uh, don't you I worry about that. I, I'm sure. Anymore. I'm sure Annihilation is gonna. We're gonna get pretty heavily into spoilers. I can already tell. Oh yeah. And it seems to me like the kind of movie that you should see before you listen to us talk about it. But anyway, that's beside the point. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you like the show, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just take 30 seconds out of your day to do that. We really, really appreciate it. 
Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Pod People Pod on both sites. Engage with us. Send us some some hot takes, some movies you want to hear us talk about. All that good stuff. We're gonna try to do more of these mini pods in the future. So if there are any any uh, single movies that you'd like to hear an episode devoted to, uh, hit us up. Uh, I want to also plug uh, Eugene and I have become uh, mom and dads for hire. Uh, so if you need a mom and dad for your party, for your funeral. For your uh, graduation, uh, hit us up. And on that note, I have become a spoiled child for hire. If you need a large, bearded, grown man to come to your location and behave like a toddler, um, I, I do that. And uh, for not even that much money either, I'm, I'm open to negotiation. Well, now that gives me an idea. For anyone else out there looking for a perfect, complete family, we got a mom and a dad and a spoiled little brat right <laughs> You can hire here, us so. all. It's actually yeah. it's actually cheaper if you bundle us together. <laughs> all right, the bundle package. So anyone out there, if you're all alone and your mom and dad ran out on you because they didn't love you, then we'll love you. And Matisse will beat you up because he'll be the best brother you ever had. Yeah, the, the bestest, beatingest brother. So there you go. It's really all about family. That's it's, why we're here in the first place. It's really all about family. <laughs> Isn't it always? God bless mom and dad. <laughs> well, the show is produced by Ben and edited by yours truly. Ben is also the artist responsible for our theme music. So uh, dabs always for that. Um, we'll be back uh, with a mini pod of Annihilation. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets. And I am Eugene Lundin. We are the pod people. And, uh, you know, maybe call your parents once in a while. Yeah, give they're a thinking call. Of, they're thinking about you. Don't wait for them to call you. Make the initiative, mister. Your mother misses you. And you need those 50 bucks. So get on that. You're grounded. You're grounded.